Hello, and welcome to Looks Unfamiliar, the show that remembers that Terrorvision's 1993 single My House came on green vinyl with a magic eye sleeve. I'm Tim Worthington, and joining me today to talk about some of the things that she remembers that nobody else ever seems to is broadcaster and writer B.B. Lynch. Bibi, what you're up to? Where can we find it? I am up to, I'm further humiliating myself in the name of my career. <laughs> I'm doing a podcast called Let's Get Frank. And Tim, it drops. You and I both don't know what drops mean, but it drops on February the 10th. And it's a dating podcast. It's made by Real2 Media and it's going to be available on all major podcast platforms, of course. And the idea is my last relationship ended the day after Diana died. And I haven't had a second date. I hope you're not laughing. I haven't had a second date since 2017. So I need love help. So let's get Frank is just me getting love help. Annabelle Knight. I date Franks. Every week I date a different Frank. (laughs) (laughs) This is including Frank the Postman from Bod. This is so hilarious. Every week I date a different Frank and it's a Zoom date. And brilliant dating expert, relationship expert, author, TV presenter, just all round fabulous woman, Annabelle Knight, sits in on the Zoom date and then gives me like a bit of a post-mortem after. And I've yet to come out well in these dates, has to be said. But it's super interesting because I am a disaster. And it's really interesting kind of analysing why and then trying to change it. Because wouldn't it be amazing if I ended up, my producer, producer Jules said, you know, in episode nine could be a best of. And I was like, it's a bloody wedding, love. (laughs) Have some faith, Jules, for crying out loud. And it's called, do you want to know why it's called Let's Get Frank? Spiller of tea, fabulous spiller of tea on Twitter. I rang Spiller of tea and said, right, clear your mind. It shouldn't take long. Clear your mind. I need your help. I need the universe's help. Tell me who I'm going to marry. And they said, Frank. And then they also said a human rights lawyer called Frank. <laughs> so could have been like John the Builder. I would have had more luck. And that's just a really terrified me that I said John the Builder because my dad was called John and my dad was a builder. So I'm a little bit worried about I just said that. So anyway, that's Let's Get Frank. And it drops on February the 10th in time for Valentine's Day. And I'm really excited by it. I think it's going to be very funny, um, very educational, lots of dating tips for everyone. And I think it's going to find me a husband. How about that? Well, I'm looking forward to it too, because anyone who has seen the feature on my site about the CD I made for somebody that didn't have a CD player will know how much dating advice I can give. But we should both be saying to ourselves, leading into your first choice, you can do it. Duffy Moon was the littlest kid in his class. Sure it ain't too heavy for you, shrimp. Even kids half his age could get him down. Hello? Hello, is this the shrimp? Then one day Duffy found the way to be a mouse no more. In total control. I can make anything happen. And just wait till you see what happens on the amazing cosmic awareness of Duffy Moon. Okay, that was the intro monologue from something called the amazing cosmic awareness of Duffy Moon. BB, who was he and what was it? I don't know. <laughs> this, the, the weird thing is, this is, I love the whole premise of this pod, which is, you know, things that you remember that other people don't. Well, this is things I remember that I don't even remember, but I know I remember. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So Duffy Moon, I still say it I'm 55 and I still say this to myself you can do it Duffy Moon and I kind of close my eyes and I clench my fists and I kind of puff out my cheeks and there's a voice in my head saying it and I don't know where that came from or why that came into my head or why it's been in my head since I was about 10. I did the IMDB and uh, this is just so brilliant quote tired of being short a sixth grader buys a magical book that enables him to think big (laughs) 
sounds like a lead to the worst porn film you've ever seen, doesn't it? Um, so anything that scares him or he has to psych himself up for, he kind of closes his eyes and, and puffs out his cheeks and this voice comes into his head. And I remember, definitely remember doing it before my driving test. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do it. Do you remember it? I don't, but I did some digging to find out what it was and when you would have seen it. It was originally, well, first of all, it was based on the novel, I think from 1974 by Gene Robertson, which is called The Strange But Wonderful Cosmic Awareness of Duffy Moon. So obviously they thought that's a bit long for TV. But it was yeah. one of those ABC <laughs> after school special things, which we don't really have an equivalent to over here. They're kind of, they're American sort of plays aimed at kids or, you know, young teenagers with the real moral behind them. And sometimes, you know, they're about very serious things, like a very special episode. Sometimes they're about, you know, something like this, like self-confidence. They always had that air of, you know, like when a teacher used to start reading a book in school and everyone would be saying, oh, that's really good. And you were thinking, hang on, this is a bit like teaching us morality and so on by the back door. I'm not on board with this. They were kind of like that. They never felt real. They felt really sort of hyper-exaggerated, but we did not forget them over here. But in August 1977, no. I assume it's a summer thing, the BBC showed a load of them in a strand called Noel Edmonds Introduces, which I assume meant he came on at the beginning going, here's a tale about a young fellow, a bit like yourselves, and kind of explained what was going on. So that must be, that can only be where you saw it so that was 77 august 77 so this is the parallel that i'm about to reveal is just so weird and this is going to stay with me forever so august 77 i was 11 and i'm sitting there and can't believe i watched an old Evans anything but i sit in there watching duffy moon it's gone into my head also august 77 is when elvis died and that changed my life elvis dying and this goes back to let's get frank and my dating history i kind of of course knew who elvis was and was like you know yeah yeah whatever he's a good looking man i fed in love with him the day after he died. After he died and he was ever, I decided he was the man I should be with, which might give you a bit of an insight into my psyche. So how do I remember the God that was Elvis? <laughs> well, of course I remember the God that was Elvis, but those two things, so I'm a real child taking on blowing out my cheeks and wishing myself luck to get through something, wishing myself height. And <laughs> at the same time, Elvis dies. That Those two things can't happen in the same summer. Well, it's also the year of the Queen's Silver Jubilee as well. I'm a bit too young to remember exactly when the year it was. I could yeah, go right. and look up, but all you know, right. it, it, it would take actually typing into Google anything to do with the royal family, which I'm at the yeah, moment is not the best yeah. idea. I've said many times before, the only thing I remember about the street party for the Jubilee was that I was frightened because the trestle tables were really high. All the food was on <laughs> and I won a big pencil. But yeah, it was... <laughs> It was clearly a kind of momentous summer. Yeah. But in the middle, you've got Noel Edmonds introducing these kind of a bit false, a bit preachy American kid yeah. jokes. Obviously, dressed up to look as though they were a big sort of whatever the everyday equivalent in the summer is to a bank holiday treat, which you know, they did used to try mm. and do in those days. And it just doesn't seem to fit, really. I love this, though. I love your description of it. So it's like they're shoehorning morality in. I kind of love that. That's like a school assembly. We'll make it a bit funky. Yes. For kids, it's yeah. about bullying. Yeah, it was like when there would be a guest at assembly it's exactly that kind of thing and they'd act something out and I always used to think yeah. about things like this that you know the world's changed a bit since then but you may, you'll remember this you know you'd see things in America and you think these kids they've got hot dogs they've got milkshakes they've got subway trains <laughs> 
and they're taking them for granted. You know, what did we have over here? I, it used to really annoy me that they weren't dazzled, you know, and stuff like this, that they weren't just astonished every time they had a burger. Yeah, yeah, they were blessed. I genuinely can't get over this. So it just feels so weird to me that that's, that was such a childlike thing that, that stuck with me. And also that I can't remember any other detail about it. I didn't even remember it was American. That's weird as well, isn't it? But with Elvis, I just went into, I don't have a brain that kind of remembers facts and figures as I've already shown. I don't have that kind of stat brain. But with Elvis, I did for a while. I absorbed everything about him because I was so, as I said, devastated by the love of my life, who I barely knew existed the day before he died. (laughs) I loved him very much, Tim. We would have been very happy together. That's blowing my mind that they were in the same summer. Wow. I mean, how did your early love of Elvis manifest itself? Because I assume they probably, probably not long after the amazing cosmetic awareness of Duffy Moon started showing Elvis films in the evenings instead. Oh, yeah. Um, weren't they a delight? The way it manifested. So, my, this is how Elvis died. <laughs> we know how he died no you don't so this is how Elvis died <laughs> I was reading him my tweets he laughed so much I, <laughs> I sent him a time tweet and it blew his mind in my head and I'm absolutely convinced this isn't true but in my head my mum and dad were holding a dinner party hosting a dinner party and so there were people there and there was the telly was on and the telly wouldn't have been on if they were hosting a dinner party and oh what's her name Jan Leeming and this is totally in my head <laughs> you know when they get the pile of paper and they kind of tap it on the table to square it up she had the pile of paper and she did that she went I'd like to announce this news in my own words the king is dead and we all gasped in the room now I don't think any of that happened to him but anyway that's how Elvis died in my head and that night I cried made myself cry and went to sleep I was quite quite a dramatic child made myself cry and went to sleep and then woke up next morning loved him and it manifested in I think I instantly insisted that my parents bought me every album he'd ever made I remember sending off for a reader's digest collection of Elvis albums and there were about nine and it was every era so it was album one album two album three blah 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 and then you put them all together so you could you see all the gorgeous different faces and then if you turn them over it was like a jigsaw so the other side was an, an Elvis poster was that in a put box together. where it had yeah. kind of Vegas era of Elvis with the name in lights my grandmother you had are that really <laughs> right okay well first of all I'm angry you just said that and B <laughs> no no we, we, we were always very baffled by her Elvis fixation so <laughs> But also, yes, it was that. It was unbelievable. And I had a pamphlet with like Elvis's life story and I just like devoured it. And then of course I held a seance. with my my next door neighbour Martine we held a seance and honestly I'm not making this up in the way I've made up pretty much everything else I've said thus far we talked about Elvis and we said Elvis you know give us a sign and the Elvis poster fell off the wall (laughs) I used to do Elvis impressions I used to dance like Elvis there was a shop called Elvis the Yours in Shoreditch I mean I loved Elvis forever and then because everyone knew I loved Elvis for very many years every gift I got would be an Elvis themed (laughs) <laughs> mug, fridge magnet, you know, t-shirt, blah, 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 blah. And obviously yours. I don't know if you know it, was this, just this extraordinary shop in Shoreditch and it was just had Elvis memorabilia. And that was way before Shoreditch was, you know, what it is now, before it was in any way hip. It was such a weird place for this shop to be. And there was like a statue of him and there'd always be flowers and, oh my 
god. Yeah, so I'd watch all these films. I never went to Graceland, though. But how did your parents react to you suddenly developing this fixation with Elvis? They just ignored me. I mean, they, <laughs> it's a whole ignored childhood. They didn't seem to... <laughs> it's really bizarre, isn't it? They didn't seem to... They were like, yeah, sure. I mean, I loved Liverpool Football Club at that point as well, before I loved Elvis. And at one house that we lived in, I wrote in red paint backwards on my bedroom window so people outside could read it, Liverpool and Elvis forever. And so the V in Liverpool was the V in Elvis. And then I also put Liverpool have more cups than Playtex. <laughs> Tim, what a terrible, terrible childhood. <laughs> but we got an idea of where my career was going to go. Well, I was just thinking about how generally my parents tried to pay as little attention to my interests and obsessions <laughs> as possible. You know, well, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he likes Jimi Hendrix now. What's going on? But it does bring me round to, I mean, obviously I'm a lifelong Marvel Comics fan, which is another thing. They kind of just try to fund the habit and just ignore me talking about it. But not that long ago, my mother asked me, have you been to see that girl you used to like yet? And I spent about 15 <laughs> minutes thinking... What the hell? Who is she asking me to pick things up with and why? And then I realised she meant the Black Widow film. <laughs> Poor old Natasha <laughs> Romanoff, I've meant so little to her, she just called her that girl. You know, <laughs> she becomes that girl in parentees. She's always that girl to your mum. She's always that girl that, you know, almost took you away from your mum. <laughs> Your mum's not going to forget that. She's always going to be that girl, whatever she does. Yeah, my parents really didn't have any interest in anything I was in. On the other hand, though, it's weird that I loved Elvis because he, I don't know, he had a gospel and soul background, I guess, didn't he? And his kind of stuff of his that I love most is, you know, crying in the chapel, the soul tinge stuff, gospel tinge stuff. I got my music taste totally from my mum. She was a real soul girl and loved her Motown stacks and Philly sound. So I'm totally, that's my music. My dad didn't, my dad wasn't into music, which I always kind of find kind of odd about someone, but he never was into it. So the only kind of, I guess, interest that we shared, because my dad didn't like football. My dad was a rugby player. So we didn't have football, but mum and I had music. So are you going to see that girl? I have seen Black Widow three times. Thank you very have much. You? So, yeah, Unfortunately, Scarlett Johansson hasn't swiped right on me yet, but <laughs> we'll see. She's playing hard to get. Or your mum's been in touch. Your mum sent her a, 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 a stern fax. <laughs> but speaking of people whose parents actually took an interest in what they were doing, just the star, the kid who played Duffy Moon, Ike Eisenman, yeah. was one of those child stars where he did everything in the 70s. He was in Fantastic Journey, that American sci-fi series. He was in Disney's Escape to Witch Mountain. He's in that Wonder Woman two-parter, The Phantom of the Roller Coaster, which is one of the ones that everyone remembers. And then he just seemed to, he did voiceover work for a bit. He's in Challenge of the Gobots. He's in the Little Rascals animated revival, which we tore into on the edition of this with Ben Baker. And then he just sort of disappears. And it's funny how that happens. You know, there can be this role that's accidentally iconic to somebody. Yeah. And the person playing it just didn't find any work as an adult and gave up. Is it that? Or is it? I don't know. It must be just, it must be such a weird thing. I mean, I haven't peaked. <laughs> <laughs> It must be so weird to peak young, mustn't it? Where'd you go? What do you do? Did he make enough money to retire? That's what I want to know. Well, we're moving on to your next choice now, which involves someone who hit their peak quite young and pretty much stayed there as far as I can tell. <laughs> Me insane. Okay. 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 
Hey, miss, put that down. Who's this for? Me, it's mine. I'm not talking about that. I mean, to the one. It's for Jesus. Who'd you say it's for, love? Who'd you say it's for? Jesus. It isn't Jesus. It's just a fella. Okay, that's a little bit of dialogue from Whistle Down the Wind, the 1961 film starring Hayley Mills and written by Keith Waterhouse and Willis Hall. There's a specific reason, Bibi, why you've chosen this quite well-known film to focus on. Well, I'd like to establish I've never seen it. And again, this is this is my... I don't know what's going on in my lovely, freckly brain. I've never seen this film, but there's a line in it, again, that if someone says the name Jesus... And around me, that happens a lot. <laughs> if someone says the word Jesus, in my head, I want to go, he ain't Jesus, he's just some fella. In one of those Cockney, 1950s Cockney kids accents. And I didn't know, when I was getting my list together to talk to you about, I was thinking, yeah, the thing that I know I say as, as well as the Duffy Moon thing is, yeah, he ain't Jesus, he's just some fella. And I was like, why have I got that in my head? And where's that from? And I can't even remember who told me that originally. So I did a little, you know, the gift of Google. And yeah, it's from Whistle Down the Wind. It's a miracle. It's a Jesus miracle that I know about. Jesus in this context <laughs> without having seen the film. You can't have an earthly answer to that. Well, it's not a Jesus miracle because he wasn't Jesus, he was just a fellow. <laughs> but yeah, for anyone who's not seen it, the whole thing is Whistle Down the Wind. It's interesting because it's one of those films I avoided when I was a child because it felt like one of those things where adults would say you like this and like you think I don't really, but it's actually a genuinely good film. And the whole story is that some children, like you say, the stage school Cockney characters, find this fugitive criminal who, when they encounter him, exclaims, Jesus Christ, and they think he's Jesus, and they treat him as such. <laughs> is that but, the background? That's brilliant. Yeah, but he doesn't kind of conform to the, you know, what they believe are Jesus-ly ways, and it all kind of <laughs> falls apart from there. This line, though, isn't one that's really got into popular culture. So given that I can believe you haven't seen it, because... It was on quite a lot in the BBC in the 70s and 80s, but also I didn't watch it. I imagine a lot of kids didn't watch it because it was in black and white as well as seeming quite worthy and educational. So how did you, you know come across th- this phrase? I can't figure I'm out. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking now, I'm thinking who said it? And now I'm thinking, I lived in, I'm from South London and I'm thinking it was a girl that I went to school with in Tooting. And I think it might have been a kind of family joke line. Do you know what I mean? So it'd be something that her and her siblings might have said. And it was just passed across to me when one of us you know broke a nail and exclaimed in a blasphemous way she went no he ain't jesus he's just some fella. it's just i mean i'm sure we can use that from anyone else he ain't david blaine just some fella <laughs> he ain't jürgen klopp he's just some fella i don't know i don't know how david blaine got in there <laughs> so you enjoyed the film i'm glad you enjoyed the film you've watched it for both of us well i like pretty much any film in that kind of you know black and white social realist era that's actually any good i mean a lot of them aren't but this is kind of it's similar to billy liar which had the same writers it's similar okay, to georgie yeah. girl things like that it just happens to have quite stage schooly children in the lead doing cockney accents that's enough to put you off when you're a kid it really is <laughs> I know. And yet here I am. I'm going to ring you for the next week, every hour on the hour. (laughs) He ain't Jesus, Tim. (laughs) He's just some fella. (laughs) How's my accent going? It sounded a bit Australian. Did it go? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what those examples are about. It is weird that they're not in my, they're in my head so much that they're actually in my DNA. 
in that I regularly use these terms, but absolutely no reason why. Well, one thing that's quite interesting, just to diverse about Whistle Down the Wind itself, is, you know, it's right at the start of the 60s. And it's all about, in a sense, you know, it's like an allegory for following false prophets and believing people are the Messiah when they're just a naughty boy, as it would later remember to be put by Monty <laughs> Python. But you think about the 60s, that whole decade is people being taken in by absolute tosspot con men, whether it was somebody saying they just founded the church or whatever. It was always the Beatles, all the Beatles apart from Paul because you had George <laughs> with his religious gurus you had John following anyone who said I can make you more money and he went oh alright then Ringo <laughs> just I don't know by the sound of it follow fish and chips or something but yeah it was a decade where that was rampant and right at the start of it you got this big award nominated warning about it so did nobody go and see this but you know well but the thing is that's not just I mean look what's happening now I mean has there ever been such an age of the grift it's extraordinary isn't it that does does astonish me that people don't seem to be able to see through. You must find this yourself. You mentioned something you've done that's totally harmless and people would be like, oh, I see, you're trying to self-promote or you're trying to make money. And you think, yeah, but you know, there's all these like <laughs> reprehensible people doing it and trying to get the likes and retweets and nobody says anything to them. Nobody says to insert double barrel radio presenter's name here. You're just doing <laughs> that to get attention. You don't really think that. Because it seemed to profit and there seems to be no downside and it's not just happening in media it's happening with our esteemed leaders I'm on beta blockers because of what's going on <laughs> I find the whole thing so shocking the whole way the world is going the whole way that it was Hitchcock wasn't it that introduced the gaslighting term but again I've never known a time where it's been so prevalent and so accepted and so you know it's happening and it's still happening I just find it shocking well we need a few more people saying people aren't Jesus they're just some fella even when they're not actually male it's still applicable yeah I noticed recording one of these the other day there was a They Might Be Giant song in 1994 written about the age of photocopy fanzines and so on in character as a man who goes on and on more about the fact he should be allowed to say what he thinks than actually saying what he thinks that's just such a perfect anticipation of where we are now <laughs> yeah yeah someone got it right unfortunately well no one's learnt from anything I don't know what we do you can do it Duffy Moon let's just take our beta blockers and maybe we'll sleep through it all <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the answer okay we're well, moving on to your next choice choice now, which is about a child who turned out to be, in a sense, a real prophet, sort of. Out there in space, shall we find friends? Is there a place where the universe ends? When shall we find it? Never. Okay, that was Derek Griffiths and Paddy Kingsland of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop with a theme from The Boy From Space, a serial from the BBC School's literacy strand, Look and Read. BB, sounds like you don't have particularly unfrightened memories of this. <laughs> 
See, there's a theme going on here. I promise I will be establishing, <laughs> I will be talking about things soon that I remember. But again, this is something that I just, I remember kind of a snapshot. And I just remember this really scary slash depressed kid and his silver blue face. And maybe it wasn't silver blue. Maybe he had a silver blue outfit on, but I've got silver blue in my head. And I'm thinking about it, he was probably depressed because he was probably covered in some kind of carcinogenic. I'm sure there was pain. I'm sure there was just like really kind of not great clothing that he could breathe through. And I just remember this really scary looking child that he was like, I mean, was he was he on Dreamies? I don't know what he was on. It was just, <laughs> I just felt that this poor child was somewhere he didn't want to be and was terrified. And we were all supposed to be scared about it. But I just remember his face. What was he about? Well, the boy from space was about literally a boy from space who got stranded on Earth. And some children who, as always happened in the 70s, were friends with the staff at the local radio telescope discovered him <laughs> and tried to shield him from some aliens that were trying to get him until help turned up. So a bit like E.T. a couple of years before E.T. Oh. But it's interesting because look and read. It's a really fascinating program because you got all these like really quite edgy drama serials as part of it. You know, the whole thing was you're supposed to watch them and then answer questions on, you know, the use of words or whatever. But the things like the one that always haunted me was Cloudburst about the man who invented the machine that could control the weather and various parties were out to get him. There was Sky Hunter about the rare bird egg smugglers and the children who uncovered that. The King's Dragon, which had been mentioned here previously, which is about antique theft. It was something that felt like it wasn't actually school when you were watching it. It felt like you were bending the rules a bit, you know, because it'd be that thing where you'd be sitting in the hall cross-legged, it'd be on the big TV, and normally, you know, what was on felt a bit like you were still being taught while the teacher was taking a breather. This actually felt more like something you would have watched for fun. I say fun, but, you know, these things were usually terrifying in the evenings on the BBC. But it still had that slightly weird edge, because the school's programs never felt like... They felt like TV by subterfuge, like they weren't a proper... Part. It's a bit like the relationship between Baron Samadhi and Mr. Big in Live and Let Die that, you know, he's allied with him but he's not under his control and that's what school's TV felt like to me. So this is interesting because every kind of episode you've mentioned in this series, there's a threat so there sounds like, you know, there's goodies, there's baddies there's, you know, sounds like there's danger involved there sounds like there's morality involved and so you kind of like the morality here because it's edgy but you didn't like the morality in the other show. Well it felt a bit closer to real life because the two kids in this one of whom is played by Sylvester Latuzel, a very young I'll come back to how she was so young in it in a minute. But also Stephen Garlick, who was in a few things around then, like The Adventures of Black Beauty he was in, which was also written by Richard Carpenter, who wrote The Boy From Space. He's also, this will have every Doctor Who fan listening, sniggering and nobody else. He was Ibbotson in 80s Doctor Who. But they really seem like kids that are much more like you. I think part of the thing is that Look and Read was limited to, I think it was the first, either the first 300 or the first 500 words of language development in English. English. And so there wasn't complicated dialogue they had either. It was like they spoke plainly. You could relate to them a lot more. But it was originally made in 1971, shown in black and white. And then in 1980, they got the film out and filmed new wraparounds with it, with Wordy, the annoying puppet that hosted Look and Read. <laughs> I don't remember, it's like a big orange thing with letters on. You'd say, hey, hey, Word Watchers, in a really annoying... <laughs> 
I cannot describe my hatred for Wordy, and judging from Twitter, that is not uncommon. It's coming across, Tim. (laughs) Don't think you need to describe it. So this was 71, so I would have been five. Well, you might have seen the 1981, the remote, because they just did wraparounds, and they got Sylvester Latuzel to do a new introduction, where she said, Coo, wasn't I young in these film bits? Again, these things are so weird to me that they've really gone in and not gone in. So you know you say the name of the bird that you don't like? Wordy. Wordy. So I thought you were going to say Y-bird. Do you remember Y-bird? I do remember the Y-bird, yes. Now, before you say anything nasty about the Y-bird, I've got to tell you this, because this is just, this was so incredible. I remember living in Maidervale, and I'm in this flat, and I've got my little, would I have had a laptop then? I guess I did. Typing away, because I like to have, like, some sound sight. Actually, I don't do that anymore when I write, but when I used to write, I'd have some sound in the background just so I didn't feel like I was totally on my own. <laughs> just, like, lonely. Anyway, typing away, and I heard Y-bird, play days, wasn't it? It was play days, and Y-bird was on, oh, Y-bird. And then I heard a voice that I recognised, looked up. My uncle was performing with Y-bird. What? My uncle was an actor, and I didn't know he'd got this gig, and his name was Royce. And I'm just thinking, that sounds like Roycey. And I looked up, and it's Y-bird <laughs> going, hello, Royce. <laughs> it's Royce on Y-bird. It was so random. So I'm, I'm glad it wasn't Y-bird that upsets you so much, because Y-bird we love. I had no problem with play days, actually, because I shouldn't have been watching as much of that as I did at, you know, <laughs> I can't remember how old I was when it came on, but I quite liked one of the shots of the dot stop, which is a kind of mime thing yes. with the sort of Piero woman who looked a bit like Lisa Stansfield. And I, yes. I think I quite liked her at that age. And I kept watching thinking, oh, maybe it'd be the dot stop today, but it so often wasn't. And then they took the dot stop away because children were terrified by it. Oh, I wish you'd remembered Royce. He was a postman. Very tall, very handsome, beautiful. That's so funny, isn't it? Oh, bless him. So anyway, scary silver blue kid. So you know the scary blue kid. So I did IMDb again, just to give me some context. So it's Dan and Helen, isn't it? And they're protecting their new friend, strange blue alien boy, who they named Peep Peep. Peep Peep, yes. (laughs) And I was thinking, I wonder if I remember that. Because when I was at school, I had, because my name is, you know, an unusual one. I had many nicknames and Beep Beep was one, like Roadrunner. (laughs) But I was wondering if anyone had called me Peep Peep. And that's why it's gone in my head as well. Well, to be fair, I think you will remember it from school, because eh? it just seemed so, not only was it quite frightening, it just seemed so unlike anything you should be doing in school, you know, you would have actual science fiction to watch. One interesting thing is, I looked into, because I never really looked into who it was that played Pete Peep, and there's a mm. child actor called Colin Mays, who I then found out had been in four really iconic roles in the 70s, if you count this. He was Trab's boy in the BBC Great Expectations in the Sunday Classics. He was in Scum, the what? infamous sportsal based play for today yeah. it's also in something that I've never seen but people talk about it in awestruck terms called Tarry Dan Tarry Dan Scary Old Spooky Man which is kind of <laughs> folk horror play from the late 70s which has basically you know it's disappeared off the face of TV history if you google it you find people say oh my god that was so terrifying and a couple of really badly blurry screen grabs that somebody must have recorded it at the time it's been copied on VHS about 500 times <laughs> but he did again he did these four really big roles, you know, as well as a couple of other things. I didn't seem to do much after that. This is your thing. I think you should reach out to these actors, because I think you need to save them. I feel that this is, it just must be so weird, mustn't it? It really must be. I mean, I'm still trying to get in contact with, as Mitch Ben mentioned, the other Rihanna before Rihanna, or Rihanna yes, Prime as he yes, called her. I yeah. would love to hear her side of the story. So would I have seen that look and read at school? Probably, although it was one of the ones that, you know, when you were off school, and there was nothing on TV, apart from the 
odd thing here and there. And as I wrote the feature on my site about that weird horror film that was on ITV one afternoon called Bad Ronald, which I saw when I was about five, there was nothing on in the mornings and the early afternoon apart from the school's TV. Things like Look and Read, you would actually watch when you weren't in school because, again, they didn't feel like educational TV. It felt like something you could watch for entertainment. So I don't know whether you would have watched it at school or caught it, you know, when you'd been to the doctors one morning. Yeah, I probably had a yeah. whistle pop from the chemist on the way back. Yeah. <laughs> that was the only place you saw them. What I remember of this kid as well, apart from the silver blue and something on his face that may, may or not been on his face, is he just kind of stood still? Do you remember him moving? He didn't move very much, no. <laughs> He would sort of gesture with his hands. And he was being pursued by the thin man. A a very camp individual. A very camp individual and a long mark. (laughs) That's a whole different look and read, isn't it? He ain't the thin man. He's just some fella. Okay, well, your next choice hasn't got just one, but four former child stars. <laughs> and it really is surprising that this lot aren't remembered more than they actually are. But we'll talk about why that might be in a minute. Okay, that was our kid doing You Just Might See Me Cry in 1976. BB, it sounds like you've actually got some quite untroubled memories of this lot. Oh my God, I loved them. <laughs> I, I loved them. Because I, I do make myself fall in love with bands quite a lot. I did when I was young. Again, when would this have been? This was 1976. The story is people say that they won New Faces. They didn't. They won it at least one week, possibly a couple more, but they didn't win the final that year. But it was enough for them to have a brief pop career on the back of. And this lot, I do remember. I remember them on Top of the Pops and they were just so cute. I mean, combined age of about 12, I imagine. <laughs> and, and there was always one that was just quite tall, like, un, you know, maybe not even unnaturally tall, but just unnecessarily tall because the others were so teeny. And they were in kind of like tux, <laughs> they were in like proper suits and they looked really ill at ease with their little 70s haircut. And they were from Liverpool and they were like the Liverpool Osmonds. <laughs> and I loved the Osmonds and Liverpool. And it was like four little Jimmies. <laughs> And one was a bit taller and it was just it was just like so supremely exciting and actually it was a really good little pop song and I loved it and what I loved as well was they tried to do I mean it's terrible isn't it you know I love Silk Sonic at the moment and I love Silk Sonic do all this kind of you know the stylistics and the temps and they do all the kind of the 70s brilliant choreographed moves and then you'd get the bands that weren't quite as smooth <laughs> and our kid were one of those bands and they so they had a little dance routine and it you know wasn't great but they just looked so thrilled to be there and they just had cheeks that were like little apples that shone and they were beautiful and I did the dance but I added my own moves because their moves they and I think you'll agree this is a mistake when they sing the line you just might see me cry for you they should have pointed outwards just I don't know what they would have done might maybe a little shoulder shrug see put their hands to their eyes and cry why 
wipe away a tear. They don't do that. They just do the standard arm down, sway, move. And I think you can... It's like an air hostess, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> you just might have a chicken or fish. <laughs> but there is <laughs> a clip online of them on new faces where... I don't know how he sneaked into this again, but one of the judges is Noel Edmonds, <laughs> who says he really liked them, but, quote, I was a bit concerned about the Thunderbirds reject style dance. I kept looking for the strings. <laughs> Oh, everyone's a critic, Noel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I loved them so much. And oh, they were just adorable. And they just, and I think they just were a one hit wonder, weren't they? I think. Well, it appears that, you know, the usual awful story with these kids stars, especially in those days, was, you know, they had a crooked manager who stole everything they earned and might have been neglecting them in other ways, should we say. But they seem to have had, you know, a proper agent who was properly above board and so on, but didn't check how many days they were legally out to work in a year and used them all up capitalising on the one single and then everything no. they brought out after that they couldn't promote there's rumours out there that there was a Blue Peter where they said on air well our kids were supposed to be joining us but they're being told they're not allowed to work anymore this year oh no so, it's school night <laughs> yeah so all they put out a couple more singles and an album where they looked very dapper on the cover of it which did nothing <laughs> and that was it one of them has disappeared as apparently a bit of a recluse some of the others did used to keep performing around Liverpool for years afterwards we're quite self-effacing about it. There's a lovely, I don't know what it's from, but on YouTube there's a video of some programme where they've reunited them and because the reclusive one didn't turn up, Amanda Holden dresses up in the dinner jacket, you know, with the big collars, <laughs> joins it, does his part and does the dance as well. And oh. they're really game. You know, you can tell that they just look back with affection on this very strange episode in their lives and it's, you know, it's not ruined them. They clearly got on, you oh, know, with what else they had to this, do in life. And this made me think, about you so a couple of days ago I watched a clip of them on Top of the Pops again because obviously I knew we were chatting it's not like I do it weekly <laughs> it's my hour good hour and I watched it and it, it actually made me really emotional and I was trying to work out what it was and it did like really make me tear up and I was when you look back at stuff it's kind of I guess it's a combination of thinking look how thrilled they look they're just you know their mates at home are watching this and their parents and their you know siblings and just you know everyone and they would have been so thrilled and so proud Proud. And also, it just made me feel nostalgic for the time. When, so when you, because you do so much that's nostalgia based, this is such a weird question, but it may be, is that a happy place or is it, because for me, it makes me feel sad. Most of it is a place of fascination, really, just with, you know, how things were made and how they were put together. And a lot of the stuff I'm kind of, in a bit of nostalgic about was from before I was born as well. Yeah. I didn't see the newcomers, the mid-60s BBC soap, but mostly it's okay. I mean, it's difficult when it reminds you of people who, for one reason or another are no longer around but there is something bittersweet about the arcade like you say the whole phenomenon of it because these days you would be able to sustain a career you know there'd be somewhere I mean you look at I always think of Simon D you know the big sort of late 60s chat show host who I mean there are kind of murky reasons behind his disappearance one of which is it's alleged he complained about one of his fellow Radio 1 DJs for something and departed from the BBC soon after that Uh, let's just leave that there but these days when you think of how you can do something absolutely awful and be given another show somewhere somebody who was just a bit arrogant a bit Chris Evans like he had no 
no trouble walking into another job on another station now. But, you know, like with our kid, when the single stops selling, that's it. That's and there's it. something very sad looking back at things like that about, you know, they didn't get a chance to... I don't think they would have gone on to do Tales and Topographic Oceans or anything, but <laughs> the fact that it was just over that quickly is quite sad, really. This is... So I did... I used the gift of Google. Apparently, and again, this might not be true because it's wiki, one of the Arcade members left before they hit to concentrate on another band and then he went on to be in the Icicle Works. Isn't that, like, fantastic? <laughs> I wonder if he regrets leaving our kid. Well, I imagine it was, you know, it was probably quite a fun experience because, as you say, when you think of performing kids in the 70s, you think of dreadful bubblegum songs like things like Millie Molly Mandy by Glimpool and that sort of thing. But this is, you know, it's quite a cabaret tune. It's, you know, it's obviously aimed at pleasing all the family apart from the teenagers, I think. But it is a very strong song. And I was astonished to find out who wrote it because it was co-written it? by Roger Greenaway, who, amongst other things, he wrote Softly Whispering I Love You, which he sang the lead vocal on, Blame It on the Pony Express, My Baby Loves Loving, Bannerman, Something That's Gotten Hold of My Heart, Gimme That Ding. And he wrote I Like to Teach the World to Sing. And he also wrote, you might remember this, the original theme music from Why Don't You, King's Road Raspberry Parade, <laughs> which is things like... <laughs> do, 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 so there's him. There's also Barry Mason, who wrote Love Grows My Rosemary Goes, The Last Waltz, Delilah. Oh, he also wrote ridiculous. Who Is Doctor Who by Fraser Hines, which he played Jamie in Doctor Who in the 60s. It did a song with atrocious lyrics about how wonderful his friend Doctor Who was. But you know what this shows? This shows how dumb the management were. So if they had this team behind them and they had these gorgeous boys, they'd got the TV exposure and the mess up was that I nearly swore in the same breath as talking about our kid. What the hell's going on? Um, Jesus, he ain't he's just some fella. They had it all there, and the mess up was the number of days that kids could work. You're like, what? Yeah, I assume people just don't think of these things. I mean, there was a documentary, I think, in the late 90s about families in pop. You know, it had the Nolans and so on, and that was the first time that, oh God, he's coming into the same choice twice, but allegations were made about somebody from Radio 1 by somebody in the public eye. Again, let's just leave that there but it had musical youth on it. And I hadn't realised that one of the people behind them was Pete Waterman. And he said, you know, I just went into it thinking, they're a great band and they're kids. That's it, we'll make a fortune. But he said at the end, after that experience and the toll I saw it take on them, I thought, I'm never working with kids again. And when you think about it, people like Kylie can't be much more than 16, 17 when they first worked with her, but they always did work with adults who made their own choices, Stock Aiken and Waterman. And Mm. I think people just don't, maybe don't think when they're working with child stars how it's going to play out, how much more extra care and attention they'll have to put into it. So my theme today is Noel Edmonds. (laughs) And yours is your ongoing concern for child stars. Yes. (laughs) An interesting... There's no way of making the two meet, right? Although he did do those Christmas Day things where, you know, he'd visit sick children in the hospital, wouldn't he? <laughs> like, no, you've taken that to a I've dark place. I've got you place, a present. But... <laughs> no, that didn't have to go there, Tim. He's trying to make the Christmas jolly <laughs> for them. No, And then he comes to Fergal Sharky forgetting the words to you little thief on the plane. But, oh, no, he didn't forget the words, did he? He couldn't hear himself miming. <laughs> When you said that they did like a reunion and one of our kids couldn't turn up and so who was it that you said kind of put the tux on? Amanda Holden it was. Amanda Holden. I'm surprised that our kid were known enough that a reunion would be recognised, whatever the show was, you know. Well, I don't know what the show was, that's the thing. I think it might just have been a ha-ha, do you remember this? And oh, okay. She might have stood in for a space hopper elsewhere in the programme, I don't know, or a slinky or something. <laughs> 
Oh. Actually, if Amanda Holden did a show where she slid down the stairs in a cylindrical fashion, I would yeah. watch that. No one would be surprised. <laughs> So, our kid, did you know the song when I mentioned it? Did you remember it? I did, because it was one that my elder siblings would refer to occasionally. I mean, I, really? I didn't remember it when it was out, but there was a lot of kind of, you know, the way you tease each other about who you used to love when you were younger, because <laughs> I still have, well, I say when you were younger, I still have very strong memories of being hit with sofa cushions, being told, you love Blondie. <laughs> You want to marry her, that sort of thing. But yeah, that's sure. how I was that's how I was aware of our kid. And then I remember there was a photo of them in Smash Hits where these two when Smash Hits was at its absolute best and they used to do features called things like look at the state of this lot. Oh, no. Our kid were in something like it might have been about great children in rock or something. Yeah, let's say that because that's making me angry. Let's let's say I that. I remember seeing them in that and thinking they look a little bit overdressed <laughs> for pop stars. Oh, super cute though. I hope they loved that time. I really do. I really hope that was just nothing but fun for them. Absolutely. But we're moving on to your last choice now, which is something that you might well have been scoffing while you're watching our kid on new faces or setting light to. Anything resembling a clip to use there, that's Chanson in DM by France Gall, which is about a very different kind of sweet tobacco, should we say. BB, what was Spanish gold sweet tobacco? <laughs> that's so hilarious you played that. <laughs> Chocolate and coconut tobacco. Actual sweetie tobacco. Do you remember that? I just about remember it. I think we weren't really allowed things like these sweet cigarettes and, you know, the these used to be licorice pipes with one of those yes. licorice all sorts of things and yeah, they had a blue yeah. one to be the flame. Yeah, I remember it existing, but... I couldn't quite understand the point of it. I thought, you know, it involved too much admin. But obviously, oh, well, it... you were just supposed to shovel it into your face, not do anything like prepare it. Like, you know, you saw... It was always That's bearded a... men with pipes, wasn't it, in those days? And very chunky jumpers. And it seemed I, to involve well, far too much work for something that was supposedly addictive. I know what you mean. But this is like, I'd actually go to a sweet shop and buy sweet tobacco. And it would be, I'm sure it was chocolate and coconut. It was delicious. And now I'm thinking what they should have done, a marketing tool, maybe the arcade management should have moved into this, is they should have made little rice paper Rizzlers. Yeah, what about that? That would have been far too much of inducement to start smoking, <laughs> I think. Well, but... I think... I think the fact that it was tobacco that you were buying <laughs> kind of like snuff anyway i think that was i think i think that was the gateway sweet i think we'd gone too far down that road to be to be pulling back now and i didn't smoke i did i'd smoked in my mid-20s i started smoking my mid-20s like an idiot who starts smoking and in the way i made myself love elvis like made myself cry before i went to sleep the night he died i made myself smoke i made myself learn to smoke i ne well i uh, yeah 
that's another long story. But when I was a kid, so I wasn't a child that was 14 and smoking, but I was definitely a child who was under 14 and going to a sweet shop and saying, I'll have a pound of your delicious tobacco, please, shopkeeper, and some Rizzlers. <laughs> it was unbelievable. So yeah, it was like little tobacco that you would... What is snuff? Is snuff just normal tobacco? I don't rightly know. I, <laughs> I believe it's got some kind of chilli powder in or something. Ooh. Here we go. It's made from finely ground and pulverised tobacco leaves, delivering a swift hit of nicotine, lasting flavoured scent, especially if flavouring has been blended with the tobacco. Well, wow. to deliver a flavoured scent, it would have to have flavouring blended with it. <laughs> I love fine. it when Wikipedia is tautological, although nothing will ever beat the time the page for Hamburglar said, Hamburglar is a fictional character, citation needed. <laughs> He's real. <laughs> He's coming to burgle your hands. <laughs> So this wasn't quite snuff then because this wasn't to be sniffed at. It was to roll. That's appalling that that was sold, isn't it? That's really bad. Well, if you Google for it, there are some scans of, apparently there were rappers for it, depicting a Spanish galleon and, you know, ye olde writings. I don't know quite how that was enticing the kids in, but nearly every mention you can find it because I tried and tried to find, you know, since you use this clip and I couldn't. Nearly everything is a forum full of mostly men saying the PC brigade won't let us sell it anymore sad face maybe maybe they just found different ways of selling sweets to a younger generation who don't see tobacco that often and it has been relaunched now apparently it's part of pick and mix in leading cinema chains no. apparently so I don't know if the formulation's any different because I've seen photos from the original iteration and you can almost feel the sugar reacting with your teeth when you look at it I kind of need to explore this <laughs> definitely I just wonder if that tastes the same what a whole so I could be eating Nan our kid in the background some bloke is not Jesus just some fella talking to some space boy you can <laughs> eat it BP Lynch <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's not ever say that again. <laughs> Out loud. You could even use the Arcade album sleeve to like roll it in the wrist, you know, to cut a line up and roll it in. Oh, and then we could get that Elvis box set out. I can't believe you're not. You might just that. see me pretend stoned. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the themes today. What's our take home from our chat? I love Noel Edmonds. Mm -hmm. You did love Blondie. Yes. Now you love Amanda Holden. I don't think she knows that. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I've got Also, what would Black Widow say? Well, that girl. Yeah, run Amanda Holden by your mum first. Let's not get into any kind of trouble. And you're starting a crowdfund for child stars, former child stars. You're What a giving man you are. Well, at least we've done some good to the world today. Haven't we? (laughs) We've been magical. <laughs> I love chatting with you. It's been such fun. Thank you. Me too. Bibi, it's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. As you know, we're one member short. So tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be Kev from our kid. Keep on, keep on walking. Check us out. The boys have still got it. Well, just about anyway. I think Noel Edmonds may have had a point. (laughs) Well, that's it for this part of the show, but coming up after the break, we've got all this. Can't help thinking about me, like Tim Worthington. 
a big book full of old articles giving a new twist, looking at how and why I ended up on the BBC News channel with a big caption saying, Clangers Expert. More details, timworthington.org.